0: You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris.
1: And my name is Stephanie. In this episode, we're going to discuss episode five of Orphan Black, the next chapter, which is entitled To Ignore the Obvious. We will discuss everything that happened in that episode, but there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes.
0: And pandemic disclaimer once again, we are recording this during June 2021. The COVID-19 pandemic is still a thing, and we are still a mess. If you are listening to this episode at any point, please forgive us. Thank you for listening.
1: (laughs) I think we're doing better, though. Like, I'm talking to you more normally, kind of. (laughs) Uh, This is a
0: thing that is is improving with time. (laughs) Yes.
1: It's like, oh, right,
0: I remember how this used to go.
1: (laughs) So why don't you tell us about the episode title reference, Chris?
0: The episode title, To Ignore the Obvious, comes from Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower. The full quote is, Why can't I do what others have done? Ignore the obvious. Live a normal life. It's hard enough just to do that in this world.
1: Very appropriate for our dear clone club.
0: And, and just, uh, life in general. <laughs> <sighs> the, the times we live in. <laughs> It's like, oh, this this is hitting extra hard right now.
1: Does it hit different, Chris?
0: As the kids say.
1: I was just trying to make you say that.
0: I didn't know. So, in this episode, we get some information about the Gemini population, which I don't remember
1: hearing that phrase before this episode. Was it in there before this? I don't remember it being said before this episode either. I think we get it from Kasima looking through Sturgis's notes, and he talks about it when he's talking to Vivi, but I don't think they had a name before this episode.
0: Okay. Also, where did they come up with the name the Gemini population?
1: Well, it's such an obvious name, right? (laughs) Because you've got Gemini as the twins. Project Lita is way more (laughs) subtler.
0: It does feel a little... On the nose.
1: Not that I'm trying to compare the Lita clones to the Gemini population. I'm sure they're nice people. I'm not trying to say... No, no,
0: we're criticizing the naming conventions of the people in charge of these things. Get more creative, (laughs) dammit.
1: Be more creative than the Gemini population. But we got more information about them in this episode. and I, I Including what they're called. (laughs) Including what they're called. And I must say, in retrospect, I thought it was very well done. That the writer set up the fact that Charlotte was more eager to sort of be open and talk about being a clone than the rest of our, our, our Lita clones. Because when she gets put in this situation where she's in the same, in the same room with Dana and Dana's like, you're not the person that I thought you were, but I recognize you. It made it far more feasible that Charlotte would be, would be the one who would be willing to just dive in and tell her as much as she could in that particular moment.
0: And it's one of those things, again, like all of this makes sense to me, right? Cause like, we know that Charlotte grew up knowing that she was a clone. The Gemini population grew up with each other so it's it's not new information to any of them. They've just kind of always known this. Versus the Lita clones, our clone club, they, you know, had to find that out as adults. And it's it's just a different experience of life.
1: <laughs> Their unique genetic situation.
0: Yes, but it is interesting finding out that for sure, all of the rest of the Gemini population seems to know about each other. But Vivi doesn't exactly. Like, she has these memories, but she thought they were not actual reality. Because it seems that they took her out of that situation and basically brainwashed her into thinking that that was all stuff that she had made up.
1: That raises a question of why, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. why did they do that? Why did they have her know she was a clone or at least be aware of her other clones at first, but then pull her away? Dana talks about, oh, it was maybe a social experiment to give each of them to these different people who worked for government agencies. So was that also a piece of the social experiment? Or did they maybe come to realize it would be beneficial? For, for the sake of the social experiment, beneficial to have one of the, the Gemini population removed from the group.
0: I feel like I should go back and reread the Helsinki series, the comic Same. book series. Cause I keep thinking this seems kind of like that, right? Cause they, they were raised knowing each other. So it's like, were they trying to recreate that? Did they even know about that? I just have questions. Not that they're necessarily going to be answered again, like pinging all of these various orphan black related memories, I guess is really what I'm trying to say, yeah, it's for like sure. oh yeah, i need to I need to go revisit that at some point and see how close that is to this. See if they're related, I guess
1: we hear Dana express some surprise at how many lita clones there were, so we get the sense that there's not nearly as many clones in the Gemini population, but she also doesn't give us a firm number. I was thinking like ten-ish maybe? A dozen at the most? But I'm curious how many clones are actually in the Gemini population. It seemed like there was enough that they had to send them to their own elementary school. Like if there was just three of them, or maybe even four of them, maybe that wouldn't have been strictly necessary. Quadruplets are rare, but not beyond the realm of possibility. So it makes me think there's probably more like I don't know, eight or more. This is just me being speculative, though. I have no clue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do we think it's sort of like a
0: caster situation?
1: Right? Because there was like, maybe a dozen caster clones, right? There wasn't a whole lot of them the same way that there were Leta clones. I don't remember the caster stuff as well as I do the Lita stuff. I apologize.
0: Right. No, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember like a specific number, but it does seem like it was, you know, Not more than a (laughs) roomful.
1: Right. (laughs) Dana seems to tell Charlotte that whatever disease they have isn't fatal. And then Sturgis, I think, confirms that when he's talking to Vivi later on. But Mm -hmm. we also don't get a sense of whether they're being treated successfully. So I'm left wondering how concerned we need to be that Charlotte's been exposed to this disease and what that will mean for her. Well, here's
0: another question, too, because, like... Yes, okay, they're all clones theoretically of each other, but is there enough variation that it would cause unpredictable effects?
1: Charlotte's from a very different batch of clones compared to the Gemini population. So maybe she's different enough that it won't affect her. She's, she feels like she's maybe experienced some symptoms, but we don't know for sure, for sure that she's actually sick. But she's stuck in that hospital, and I'm worried about that, too. (laughs) Is she just going to hide under Dana's bed forever? Like, what's going to happen?
0: Yes, that is exactly what's going to (laughs) happen. No, I don't remember. I don't remember. At least Dana's nice.
1: (laughs) Dana does seem to be pretty nice, so that's good. So Allison is is waiting for Charlotte outside of the hospital, and she gets the opportunity to fail at being sneaky again. (laughs) I mean, that's her thing.
0: That and Worrying, which, you know, plenty of opportunities for both.
1: <laughs> if you purchase Orphan Black, the next chapter through the Realm website and the Realm app, you get to see the script for the episodes and I actually looked at quite a bit of the script for this episode in the app. And you get to see, like, the actual text messages. And it was actually quite delightful to see how they did the text messages in the script. Because, like, there's that one text message Charlotte sends to Allison about Arun. Like, what he looks like. He's like, oh, you know, 40s. I think he's South Asian. You'd think he was hot. And then Charlotte put a little, like, winky face. oh <laughs> And that just, I thought that was really cute. <laughs> And Allison did. Allison did think he was hot. <laughs> <laughs> and was immediately caught by a rune. Like, she was so frustrated by the, 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 the driving. And I love that, that line about how when he kind of cornered her in the alley, she was like pretending to look up directions while also actually looking up directions. <laughs> Classic Allison. <laughs> oh, Allison. And they kind of make it a joke that she threatens to, like, do Tybo on him. But Allison, no self-defense. She she kind of beat up Ainsley. She's pepper-sprayed people in the past. Like, you shouldn't take Allison to be some sort of sitting duck.
0: (laughs) This is true. Correct me if I'm wrong. Allison's the one who showed Sarah how to shoot a
1: gun. Oh, yes. And she does mention that to Arun, that she's like... Star shooting status at Bailey Down's Gunray. I can't remember the name of the status that she has achieved for her marksmanship, but yes, she she did show Sarah how to shoot. I think I just said Sarah's name is Shara. You did. You did. <laughs> Sarah. She shows Sarah how to shoot. There you go. Thank you. Good job. I still don't know if I trust Arun. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> uh-huh. He sh- he clearly. Knows more than he has revealed to Vivi, because he was all nonchalant about, oh, you've met several other women who have your exact same face? That's weird. But uh, he expresses genuine concern for Vivi, so maybe he's okay. But Allison also has a very smart thought of the fact that people who seem to know a lot of information, like, those can be bad people. That's the thing bad people do, is know a lot.
0: This is true, but I'm also thinking back like because we've seen characters like this before who know more than they're saying but also seem protective of clones i mean delphine mean.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's not it's not inherently a bad thing no it's not but yes it is suspicious i now have the don't be suspicious song going through my head
1: don't be suspicious don't, don't be, be suspicious sp- <laughs> That's, I feel like that actually plays in Allison's head as she's trying to be sneaky. <laughs> Maybe so. I could I could see it. Speaking of trying to not be suspicious, Kira is still crashing at Gene Keep. How long is this internship? What <laughs> is the long-term housing strategy, Kira? <laughs> Where are you going to keep your hats? Like... <laughs>
0: there's been no there's been no evidence of hats in this series so far
1: well uh, are are, okay literal hats yes but the figurative hats are all all over the place in this episode (laughs) because she's getting so flustered around um and it's very cute
0: (laughs) those are hats one keeps inside stephanie (laughs) one does not need external storage (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For figurative hats. <laughs> but no, I just I, I cringe through that entire sequence of Kira like startling herself awake and then knocking things over. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> Kira, no. If you're gonna be that clumsy, you can't be living uh, a secret life
1: <laughs> inside of a storage closet. Okay, but clearly, Dr. By and the network download, super shady. We cannot trust them. Of course. Because we know the TAG project can target specific genetic markers. That's how they made the Gemini population sick. And what does GeneKeep have is an entire database of unique genes found in specific populations. Oh, no.
0: And of course, M described Dr. Bai and granted Kira also as true believers.
1: Oh, yeah, that's never a good sign. (laughs) I
0: was gonna say that that's either like a really good idealistic thing, or it can be very, very scary. And often in these instances, very scary. (laughs) This whole thing with like, genetically targeting specific people and populations, does that also remind you of Killjoys?
1: It does remind me of Killjoys. And it reminds me of that episode of Fringe, where with the candle, that they used to like disperse the agents that could be targeted for a particular group of people. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I did not watch all of Fringe, so no. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But yes, it did remind me of some other sci-fi properties that we have enjoyed in the past.
0: There's a there's a recommendation for everyone. Go watch Killjoys.
1: Go watch Killjoys. It's excellent. It's been sweet to see how close Charlotte and Kira have gotten over the years, but. I thought this episode was really interesting because it showed that they have a, a distinct, a distinctly different perspective on this idea of publicly acknowledging their unique genetic makeup. You know, Charlotte just wants to not feel like she's hiding all the time and limiting her life because she's a clone. But Kira feels very differently thinking like, oh, but if everybody knows, you know, about me, I could become some sort of lab rack freak. And I thought that was an interesting conversation that they had.
0: It is. And again, with the whole, these perspectives make complete sense to me, is the other great thing. Because Charlotte's unique, but she's unique in a group. And Kira has this one particular thing that she knows everybody is going to be seeking because she can get hit by a car and be fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. And she knows it's amazing, and she's grateful for it, but also, you know, if people find that out in a specific way, or if specific people find that out, that could get real scary real fast.
1: And so even though Kira has been pushing back this entire time about Sarah's overprotectiveness and keeping her isolated, I, I think Kira also understands why, clearly, her mm-hmm. mother feels so protective about her and her DNA and her genome. So, Chris, are you are you ready? Can I talk about Cosima and Delphine?
0: No, you cannot, Stephanie. Of course, you can.
1: <laughs> I don't know that you're prepared. I have a lot of emotions about this episode. A lot happened in this episode. I enjoyed this episode a lot, and I had a lot of feelings. There was there was a wife nest, and there were nose boops. Oh, this is this is similarly satisfying to reading fanfic, like. In listening to these episodes, it kind of reiterated, like, why fanfic is so appealing because, especially with characters who you primarily have interacted with on the screen, you know, getting to read what they think and, you know, get a better sense of their feelings, like, it's just, it's satisfying, you know? But this is kind of cool because it's, it feels like fanfic, but it's canon, so that's kind of interesting. (laughs)
0: It's true. You don't necessarily get a whole lot of the, like, casual domesticity in, like, a TV show. It is nice to see here. There's nose boops, Chris. <laughs> I I know.
1: <laughs> Multiple nose boops. <laughs> and I love the conversation that they had where is just like, I don't want you getting involved in something dangerous and getting hurt. And Delphine's like, so then you understand where I'm coming from. They just care <laughs> about each other, Chris. They don't want each other to be hurt. <laughs> And I have yet to have to scream, Delphine! <laughs> Though you did text that to me the other day. <laughs> I did, because I was re-watching season two, oh. and I got to the point where Delphine didn't tell Kasima when she realized that the stem cell treatment had come from Kira, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> bad call! I understand why you're doing it, but bad call! <laughs> So I have yet to have to Delphi because she has not, so far at least, done something that she knew Kasima wouldn't want her to do. But Kasima <laughs> Clearly you're going to make things worse. <sighs> right. Clearly. It's like don't
0: don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> don't make promises you know you're not going to keep. I mean, maybe she genuinely thought she wasn't going to make things worse. But also, why would she think that? History has told us (laughs) that no, whether you mean to or not, it's going to get worse.
1: Worse. And boy, did it get worse. I had foreboding feelings, but it was kind of nice to see her get kind of like energized by having stuff to do again. Like she phrased it that she's back on her bullshit. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. <laughs> and like that was fun and and in the past she hasn't really been one of the the sneaky clones you know she's just kind of like walked into places and been like this is an awkward situation but i'm here and i'm doing my best yeah. um
0: <laughs> i mean kasima's version of sneaky is like putting a hat on <laughs> maybe taking off her glasses
1: being a lesbian supporter you know <laughs> But we got to see her be sneaky, which was fun to read about her breaking into Sturgis's apartment and being very judgmental of his choice of passcodes. <laughs> also, just like a four-digit passcode, no, you need at least like six. Four digits is not enough. It's Come true. On. It's true. <laughs> if I have to type in six digits to get in my cell phone, you should have to type in six digits too. That is enter exactly what
0: I was thinking right now. Is right because that's not even a recent change that apple is made and like no this is supposed to be in the future why why still only four nonsense I'm, I'm gonna jump in here for a moment to say i enjoy i i enjoy how judgy all of the clones are about everyone else's security measures <laughs> it's like yeah that makes sense to me they have enough experience by now they're kind of like what is what is wrong with everyone else <laughs>
1: Well, because Vivi was judgy when she broke into Allison's house. I know. That's what makes it funnier. <laughs> Once she got inside, though, she was impressed with the lock on the door. So, like, that makes sense. But then she found, like, passwords on a Post-it note. People get judgmental about the password on the Post-it note. And, like, the thing is, as long as it's a strong password, it's okay if you write it down on the Post-it note. Because the most hackers, they're not going to be able to see your Post-it note. But you can't use Sestra as a password. That's a bad password, Allison. <laughs> you need to beef up your passwords. If you're going to have a good lock on the door, use better passwords.
0: It's true. Okay, I'm sorry. Return to your Cosima talk.
1: <laughs> Again, I don't think this was necessarily a direct reference to the series, but when Cosima was in Sturgis's apartment and she hears, you know, Vivian Sturgis about to come in and she's trying to hide and she's like, I couldn't find a place to hide in the open floor plan. My brain immediately said, you can't hide in minimalist furniture, Cosima. <laughs>
0: That's true. <laughs> Continues to be true.
1: But Kasima did, before she had to hide from Sturgis and Vivi, she found some important stuff in the safe that I kind of wanted to to go over real quick. So the three things that she names, besides it, she found like the chart talking about the tag project implementing against the Gemini population. But then she talks about finding schematics for an auto-administering injection system which looked like it had a sensor for scanning and estimating mass. This just sounds like a useful thing because you would want to be able to estimate mass for auto administration because the dose that you would give somebody of a particular substance could change depending on their body mass. You know, you give less to somebody who is smaller. But I don't entirely know how this fits into what we've learned so far. I guess maybe it could have to do with how they infected the Gemini population to begin with?
0: Yeah, I mean, why else would you need, like, an auto-administering system? I guess it's just one of those, like, there are scary implications because if they've got a thing that can target specific people, and now there's, like, a delivery system that doesn't actually need, like, a person involved.
1: Right. And I think maybe... Connected to that, she mentions that there's a patent for a mini-drone or for mini-drone software. So auto administrative ejection system, mini-drone, these two things seem like they could be related. And then finally, she mentions DNA malware encoding strategies for hair follicles. So I feel like this is probably alluding to the fact that it seems like Sturgis has left important information for Cosima encoded into hair But she then also mentions how a malware encoding strategy for DNA, like that could be dangerous if you hijacked a sequencing computer, for instance, in whatever network it was connected to. Hmm. Where have we seen some shady things going on on a computer (laughs) network connected to a sequencing computer? Hmm. So that that doesn't bode well for what's going on at GeneKeep. It does not. No. For the past couple of episodes, I think it's been pretty clear that Kasima feels frustrated about things that are happening in her life right now. But in this episode, she articulates very clearly what all has been bothering her. And it just it made me sad. Because uh, she she thinks to herself, she says, withholding all of her best research from her perfect, imperfectly dull academic papers, her wife's baby clock tick-tocking along heedless of Cosima's reservations, the long, slow ache of her soul being amputated as she and her sestras drifted further apart with no grand conspiracies to bind them together. It had all happened so easily before, impossible as it sounded. How did you slowly become a stranger to yourself, your genetic mirrors. It just made me so sad, Chris.
0: I mean, the phrase soul being amputated, like,
1: I know. Ugh. Cause before this, you know, it seemed like the clones were still in in contact with each other and, you know, helping out with each other's kids. So it does still feel like they are a family and they think of themselves as family. So it, it was sad to hear this perspective from Cosima where she just feels like, they're drifting apart because they no longer have all of these larger forces tying them together.
0: Though mm-hmm. so part of me does wonder, is this one of those things where like, I 100% am not trying to make light. But is this one of those things where Kasima's kind of just being dramatic? I ask because I myself have done this before. <laughs> where, you know, you, like you, you find yourself in a mood and suddenly like all of the stuff that's sort of like, I don't know, stuff you've been worrying about all hits you at once, and it hits you extra hard, and you feel very dramatic about it.
1: I think that's absolutely possible, where if she had a little bit more emotional distance, she would realize not all of these things were 100% true to how she was perceiving them in this particular moment. Because, I mean, it does seem like...
0: It's very clear from what we've established in the past episodes that, like, they are all still pretty close. Like, Charlotte occasionally kind of lives with them, and Kira was coming to visit, except she didn't. But, you know, they still seem pretty close as a family.
1: And Allison came and escorted Charlotte to the United States when she needed, like, a chaperone. Like, they they do seem pretty well connected still. But... I guess we're getting a clear sense here that Delphine's sort of accusation that Cosima was bored for the excitement that they used to have back in the day, very clearly it seems that's true from what we're seeing from her here. Feeling a bit detached, perhaps. But boy, does she get herself into some exciting stuff in this episode. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, As she made things worse.
0: (laughs) Which you knew was going to happen. Like, as soon as she says that to Delphine, you're like, this this is, episode's not going to end well.
1: <laughs> no. Vivi and Kasima's paths kind of cross each other again at the end of this episode. Though I guess it's preceded with Vivi breaking into the RCMP office after she steals Jay's ID card. There was something about
0: that entire sequence of events where Vivi was, like, following Jay... And, like, sneaking into the bathroom stall next to her so she can clone the RFID info and using the ballistic gel to get her fingerprints. Like, this feels very daring for some reason.
1: No, it was completely – I th- and I think she kind of admits that at, at one point, that it was, like, the riskiest mission she's ever undertaken. Because, like, this she knows this woman, knows who she is, like, knows what she looks like, and yet is, like, getting – so close to her that that was incredibly risky. I thought
0: borderline dumb in the way that, uh, clone club tends to be. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Such a Lita clone. Such a Lita clone. Though I know she's not project Lita. The other thing that I thought about during Vivi's breaking into Jay's office, I was reminded of the season one scene where Helena pretends to be Beth and and enters the police station. I mainly was reminded of that one because uh, Vivi mentions that Jay's colleague is like showering croissant crumbs on her desk as he eats. (laughs) I was like, it's like Helena eating the muffin. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I don't think that was a necessary reference to Helena eating a muffin but that is immediately what I thought about when she talked about the croissant crumbs. Fair.
0: Oh, Helena.
1: (laughs) And Jay continues to be my type of gal with her, like, properly secured files. She's the only one with the properly secured files (laughs) and everybody else's desks are messy. Like, Jay, you're a rule follower. I like you. (laughs) I'm guessing that all of those emails that Jay was getting, just refusing access to the various types of files. do, Do we think that art had something to do with that? really restricting those files and access to those files. See, I was thinking
0: maybe that is related to whoever or whatever entity was like giving her information about Vivi. Hmm, Possibly. I mean, I don't know, but again, we know that there's some greater conspiracy happening here. Maybe not conspiracy, but no, probably conspiracy. (laughs)
1: I mean, is it a coincidence? Is it a conspiracy? Conspiracy. Knowing their lives. Though the reason I I was thinking about it is because Sarah makes reference on one of the clone calls. I think it was the first clone call that because of art, they had been able to escape scrutiny from the police for this long. Oh, that's true. So I I didn't know if maybe he might have also had something to do with restricting access to those files. Though I, I guess they also could have been, we saw Dyad and other entities had quite a bit of authority when it came to making the police department do things. So they could have been involved in that as well. But then why didn't they hide Katya Obinger's file better? Come on, guys.
0: Come on. (laughs) See, it just keeps coming back to that Katya Obinger file. It makes no sense. I think it especially, to me, seems more upsetting after all of the events with Beth happened. Beth was a police officer who other police officers knew. (laughs) So I think you'd want to, like, maybe leave her file, but delete Katya
1: Obinger's. But that's just me. I did wonder if there was a purposeful little clone mirror. That's not maybe the right word for it. But there was sort of a similar use of of language when we were in Vivi's perspective. She just thinks about Sturgis. Nathaniel, you crafty devil. And then later on, Cosima's looking at his files and his safe, and he's, she thinks about him, you beautiful idiot. <laughs> it just, it just maybe felt like they were purposely kind of like, pointing out a similarity between the two clones.
0: I'm trying to remember now, did, did we ever get the same judginess from Vivi that we got from Cosima about Sturgis? I think so. Okay.
1: She did also think about him as a weaselly bastard. <laughs> well,
0: sure, but like, Cosima just straight up thinks he's kind of a moron.
1: <laughs> I think maybe Vivi was a bit more charitable towards Sturgis than Cosima.
0: Yes, that's. I mean, that, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Because these two phrases, like, crafty devil is a little bit more uh, appreciative, perhaps, than <laughs> you beautiful idiot.
1: <laughs> I did enjoy on the clone call when Cosima told the other sestras that Nathaniel Sturgis was still alive – Allison was like, yay, we like him. And Cosima's response was like, eh. Because <laughs> <laughs> fair. Uh, he's okay, I guess.
0: <laughs> he's not actively evil, from what we can tell.
1: <laughs> Though he does, he finally reveals in this episode that he was the one that blew up the lab. And kind of misled Cosima about the circumstances of his running. I think he, and we we see in this episode, clearly had reason to be fearful for his safety, but he did mislead her as to the origin of the explosion at the lab. So then
0: one wonders if he is the one who removed the files and looped the video.
1: Right. I still don't know. I could see him maybe looping the video because he would want to hide the fact that he was the one who had bombed the building, like set up the explosives or what have you and that he survived it right that too but if he did take the files like how <laughs> where did he put them it, you know he's been on the run so where did he put them mm-hmm. surges also reveals to vivi who had heard previously uh, that she's a clone i did kind of like think that was weird that we knew vivi heard them talking about being clones on the clone call in the previous episode but we didn't actually go back to her that episode we had to wait until this episode to kind of like see her reaction mm-hmm. and i think she still doesn't have a huge reaction to it she's just kind of like this is weird but what are they talking about yeah it
0: it was mostly a reaction of wait i thought that wasn't possible
1: <laughs> yeah she seems very skeptical which is fair
0: but she is also injured and on painkillers so who knows <laughs>
1: She's not thinking the most clearly. But Sturgis also seems to clearly know about the Gemini population, because he mentions, like, oh, your sister's in Boston. But does he know about Project Lita? Or does he just think that all of these people he's interacted with so far are just from the same clone project? I don't know that it matters if he knows about Lita or not, but I just, I wondered.
0: Right, because we know that he knows about Dyad, but we don't know what it is that he thinks he knows about Dyad, so...
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But then we'll never find out from him directly, because he gets
1: shot. And probably by a sniper, right? Yes.
0: Almost definitely, because there's the sound of breaking glass before... Right. ...the sound of him hitting the floor, so...
1: Because Cosima kind of seems to think that Vivi shot him, but there was the sound of the glass, and then she comments on the fact that his wound was extensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think we're supposed to assume he was shot by a sniper. So again, though I did have a Helena moment. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. She means well, as Cosima <laughs> notes in this episode. I did love that. was my evil twin. Oh no, not that evil twin. That's just Helena. She just, she means well. It's <laughs> oh, <that's> true. <laughs> she does. She does. So he was probably shot by a sniper, but probably not Helena. So. We still have this. Who's this entity who seems to be out there?
0: And also, I mean, contributing to evidence that it wasn't Vivi. Vivi seems very thrown off by the fact that he's been shot.
1: On the one hand, I I see why Kasima would have assumed she shot him because...
0: She saw her holding a gun to his head. Sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, Occam's razor and all that. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think from other... Hints that we've got, we're supposed to realize that she did not, in fact, shoot him. Vivi keeps making, like, the worst impression on Cosima. Cosima's like, oh, she's blowing stuff up. Ah, she's shooting people. <laughs> Vivi is not a bad person. She's she's trying hard. I feel for her.
0: You know, given the history of interactions with unknown clones, I can't blame Kasima for
1: jumping to these conclusions, so... But she does compare her to Rachel in this episode, and I was like, ooh, ooh, that's not good. Ouch. (laughs) I did keep wanting Cosima to just, like, step out of the closet and talk to Vivi. I I knew why she didn't. I knew why she would choose not to do that, but I just kept wishing she would. Then the series would be so short. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily. Not necessarily. They could just join forces earlier or something I'm teasing. I'm maybe? Teasing. I don't know. But then they probably both would have been arrested. And I don't know that that would have maybe that could have helped. Cuz he could have been like, "See? We look the same. See? <laughs> and we're not the only ones."
0: But we did finally find out what uh was it platinum under the
1: arm or something? Finally find out what that means. By which he literally meant under his arm.
0: <laughs> Cuz again, his secretive spy phrases are really just like not secretive at all. They're just out of context.
1: <laughs> they only serve to confuse.
0: But it, I mean, it worked because Kasima knew what to look for. But like, also, what a weird thing—a <laughs> little, a little patch of platinum blonde hair.
1: Though I guess we have seen like little, little worms in people's cheeks, so. There's been weirder stuff on the show.
0: <laughs> so upsetting. <laughs> this is less upsetting. I will give you that. But yes, as, as all of that was happening and Cosima was like, don't leave fingerprints on the body. I'm like, why do you not all just carry gloves around at this point? Like, gloves that you know are going to fit. <laughs> so you don't have the problem that Charlotte had earlier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and especially since she knew she was breaking into his apartment, she really should have had gloves of some kind. Yes, Exactly. Even if it's just, like, winter gloves, she should have had gloves of some kind.
0: Just all of them. All of them should carry gloves of some sort that fit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At all times. At all times. There were a couple of things in this episode that just struck me as, you know, these were decisions that the writers made for the story that just felt felt so right. First of all, that Kasima went over on an electric scooter. Like, yes, she, yes, she would go over to his house on an electric scooter. That is definitely how Kasima would have arrived there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that this format allows Kasima to use the F word and it just feels so right. I'm like, yes, this was missing from the show. <laughs> <laughs> she should have been saying this more.
0: <laughs> I mean, probably.
1: But also Sarah. <laughs> Sarah too, I, I think
0: for sure. More so Sarah really than Kasima, but...
1: I think both of them though. I think both of them would just more naturally express themselves using that word more if they hadn't been on a, like, basic cable show. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you have any thoughts about this episode or any other episode, you can email us at feedback at everyone.com You can also find us on Twitter at tie podcast. Tatiana
0: is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys, visit our website, askgenretv.com.
1: In this episode, Helena's Good Intentions were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening.